Welcome to The Perfect Storm, a bi-weekly podcast for business executives and cybersecurity professionals. Industry veterans Michael Markulek and Matthew Webster chat with guests about the latest cyber news, threats, and trends, and how all of it impacts their businesses. Harbor Technology Group is a cybersecurity consulting firm that offers advisory services to the SMB. Harbor believes by taking a proactive rather than reactive approach to cybersecurity, business leaders can develop a cybersecurity program that will address external requirements, exceed client expectations, and ultimately take their organization to the next level. Harbor's innovative processes are based on industry standard frameworks that are tailored to meet the needs of small and medium-sized businesses. Welcome back to another edition of The Perfect Storm. This month, Matt and I are going to talk about Cybersecurity Awareness Month. It's the 20th Cybersecurity Awareness Month, um, or not 20th month, it's the 20th year that they've been doing the Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And this month, it's got a couple relevant topics that kind of focus not just on personal security, but also business security as well. So... Matt, I realize we're not in the same office today, but uh, glad to have you on the show. Hey, buddy. Thanks. <laughs> we haven't recorded one in a while. Uh, the we haven't recorded so. one together in a while, so this will be fun. Yeah, yeah, that's right. right. That's right. Let's let's start right at the top of the list. Um, you well, let's say, before, before, before we go there, let's talk a little bit about what uh, uh, CISO uh, is worried about what, what they're trying to accomplish with Cybersecurity Awareness Month and why it was started in the first place. I mean, like you said, sure. it's uh, although you were technically accurate the first time, this is the 20th month that they've had a Cybersecurity Awareness Month, but it's happened over the last 20 years. Yep, so you were right. Yeah, exactly. So it started in 20, or 2003, um, really intending to help organizations uh, be more cyber aware because – uh, you know, coming out of, of Y2K and, and moving into more of the, the true digital age, I think it became aware that the, the government, the federal government became aware that cybersecurity was going to be a, uh, a pressing need for organizations and really put, you know, uh, U.S. businesses and U.S. citizens at risk. So I think that's why it started in the first place. In fact, not just think, I'm 100% assured that that's why it started. But here we are, uh, the 20th anniversary of Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Right. And it does bring together that public-private partnership, right? The you know, the government really trying to 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 step in and kind of build that bridge between you know government entities, best, best practices of security in the government, as well as what's going on in private industry, uh, private businesses. And over the past couple of years, has also kind of brought into you know the, the general public, right? Yeah, call it private you, homes, private homes, private government, you know, private agencies, private businesses, private homes. I mean, it, everybody's uh, impacted by cyber, right? And 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 over the past twenty years, you know, it's gone from you know big nation state threat, uh, you know, stealing of intellectual property, down to you know identity failure, down to you know. Targeting folks with things like uh, gift card scams, um, so it really, you know, has has matured, I guess, over the past twenty years, to to not just being focused on, 
you know, big nation state actors, but uh, really to address all kinds of uh, cyber crime and cyber fraud. Right. So this this month, but this month being October, we're just kind of talking about it a little bit early since it's still September. Um, this month, they're focused on the four simple steps all Americans can take to stay safe online. And in doing so, these these four steps, as we'll talk about them, it's certainly four things that we've talked about, uh, not only you know to our clients and prospects, but on podcasts as well, these four different components that make up uh, uh, what, you know, U.S. citizens or anyone really can do to, to stay safe while they're uh, operating online, which is basically what we do, what we all do every day, all day long. Right. So uh, with that, Michael, do you want to kick off? Yeah, so I'll kick it off, right? You know, the first one is uh, use strong passwords and a password manager. And we've known for a long time that, you know, you know, passwords have been one of the weakest links in the uh, in the cybersecurity chain. People reuse passwords. People use easy to guess passwords. You know, I, I I make a joke when I talk to CEOs about cybersecurity. You know that that you know your last name and and the, the number you wore playing high school football is not a secure password. Um, but yet people still do it um, with all the the. The announcements out there with all of the, you know, breaches, with all of the lost identities, people still use very simple, easy to guess passwords and, and repeat them over and over and over. Right. They use them not only for their banking account, but for their DraftKings account, for their ESPN account, whatever it happens to be. You know, people are using the same passwords. So uh, I don't know any thoughts on on how we move beyond this, because. For 20 years, we've been beating this drum and, uh, you know, the, the general public has not listened. Well, I, you know, I, I think at some level it's, you know, everybody that, that works in a, a professional environment has probably heard from their IT dude or their security dude or their boss um, about how they need to, to craft better passwords. Um, certainly, as you stated, you know, last name, your football jersey number, which is, Kind of funny i'm sure you've used that in the past um, yeah yeah i'm sure um what we know is that those passwords even even like that even if you use like crazy characters aren't really it's not what the modern password should look like i mean we've moved beyond this this idea of just strong passwords to more of a passphrase so that they can be complex so that the simple and i'm the, I'm the the nerd of the two of us you know, the, the shorter the password, um, the, the the fewer different variety of characters that that password contains, the easier it is to crack or or guess or whatever it might be. But what we know now is to use this concept of passphrases. So the complexity is built in, the length is built in using a passphrase. So, you know, even Michael playing off his you know, his glory days as a football star in high school, he's just coming off his high school reunion. So obviously he was reliving his glory days um, is, you know, I was the best middle linebacker wearing number 38 could be a great password because it's, it's actually super long, super complex, maybe throwing a couple of special characters there and it, it essentially becomes uncrackable. So that's, that's a good best practice as, as far as, you know, how to, how to implement the right type of password. Use a passphrase. 
And I, I, I made that switch a number of years ago. And in all honesty, it's a lot easier to remember those passwords. Now, all of that being said, what we also know is that we should stop trying to remember these passwords and certainly not use them, uh, reuse them. So if Michael wants to have that football passphrase, he really should only use it in one spot and then have a passphrase for somewhere else, another passphrase for the for the next banking site or his DraftKings account or whatever it might be. Um, so to do that, and without having to write them down and put them on a sticky note right on our desk, we have to use password managers, password lockers, as they're called. Uh, Michael, what are, what are your thoughts on a password locker? Yeah, so I, I, you, know, you know that I'm a big fan of uh, you know, password yeah. managers, right? I've got, and to be honest, 170 passwords. Um, everything from my DraftKings account to banking to um, you know some accounts, uh, shared service accounts. Um, so there's no way that I could remember, you know, 170 passwords. I couldn't, re- you know, remember 170 password phrases. So I use a password manager to kind of manage that. I use one long password phrase to kind of use as, as a master key. Um, and then actually I allow the password manager to generate a 16 character, yep. you know, random password. Um, and it's easy. It, it makes life uh, a lot easier. I don't have to remember passwords. I, I remember one, not 170. Um, and, you know, my life is a lot easier to manage. That said, um, I would recommend that people use a true password manager. Um, doesn't matter what it is, uh, key, you know, keeper, dash lane, one pass, uh, whatever it happens to be. I'm not a big fan of storing it in the browser. So so Chrome will try and ask you to remember it. Um, if, if you've got a Mac device, Keychain will ask you to remember. Firefox will ask you to remember. I'm not a fan of keeping it in there. I, I really do like, you know, a standalone password manager that's doing a specific job, not trusting your browser to do it. But that's, uh, yeah, that's definitely something that we should be talking about for businesses, personal use. And to be honest, we should be telling our, our kids this from day one um, so that they lock down their personal devices, their, their, their online presence quickly. Yeah, 100%. In fact, uh, on the personal side, I mean, we, here at Harbor, we, we do use 1Password. Um, it allows us, you know, all the staff here to securely store their passwords. But actually, we can we can share passwords uh, as appropriate. Of course, we don't share accounts. But if we have one master account for, let's say, our banking website, um, which we don't, but if we did, I can share that that information directly with Michael in a secure way. In fact, I can create a temporary password for him so he can use it for, for a, a moment or two uh, or a single login. So these password managers are really good, not only for the security they provide, but they actually provide a lot of functional benefit too. On the personal side, um, it makes it really easy for me to share the Hulu password with my kids, whatever it might be. So um, I can create complex passwords and they can just simply grab the password as it comes across in the password manager and drop it into the Hulu app, for example. So that, that, that part of it, uh, there's the security side, but the functional side is also a huge benefit of the password managers too. And I'm in a hundred percent agreement. Don't store your, your um, passwords or your account information in, in your browsers or even in key pass uh, uh, or your keychain, excuse me, on your yep. Mac. Yeah. So, the, so, so 
Oh, you were going to add something about passwords? Go ahead. No, no, I was going to bump us to the next subject, but go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I was going to add, you know, but we, as Michael said at the beginning, passwords are a disaster. That's just the simple reality of it. We haven't come up with, you know, we tried biometrics. We've tried a number of different things to um, uh, make accessing accounts, accounts more uh, safe, more secure, um, but we just haven't gotten there yet. So uh, in combination with, you know, passphrases or long, complex passwords and a password manager. The other thing is you should be enabling multi-factor or two-factor authentication on all your, uh, at least all of your kind of important uh, apps or or, or uh, accounts that you access, your banking account, um, maybe your personal Gmail account or your personal Yahoo account, whatever it might be. Um, to definitely enable that that multi-factor. It is not foolproof, um, as all of these things go, because if it was, then that would be the hard and fast requirement everywhere, every time. Um, they're not they're not completely foolproof. They're not without a little bit of pain, let's say, on just usability. Um, but they do provide that that extra layer of security to keep, you know, the bad guys out of your accounts. What do you say? Yeah, I, you know, so multi-factor authentication is becoming becoming mandatory. Um, you know, we see cyber insurers now forcing it on businesses. Um, you can't conduct online banking without multi-factor authentication. Um, you you can't you know uh, get your boarding pass from American Airlines without multi-factor authentication. So it's really becoming built in as the standard. Um, and it's not even default anymore. It's not even where you get a choice whether you're going to do multi-factor or not. Right. Organizations have realized that the the way to protect information is strong passwords, multi-factor authentication, and and it's it's becoming mandatory. Um, yeah, and I would this, even add to that um, that if you are, let's say, if, you know, just making a switch to a new bank, um, if that bank doesn't have multi-factor as an uh, as an option, or is it, as Michael said, making it mandatory? I might consider a different bank because there's, you know, it's such basic security that if they're not doing that, I would question, you know, how secure they're going to keep everything else they have of mine, like my money or my credit cards, whatever it might be. Yeah, and, and, and go ahead. Ahead. I was going to say it's it's become easy, right? It used to be, you know, you had to have a, a unique authenticator or you know, you had to download a, a, a unique piece of software to kind of get get the password. You know, anything from a straight up text number to, uh, you know, the Microsoft or Google Authenticator, very easy to use. Um, and it's amazing to me that many businesses still haven't adopted it. As we talk to small, medium-sized businesses, I got to say there's still about a third of them that don't have multi-factor authentication enabled on something as basic as corporate email. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of shocking, and it's usually the push pushback is that it's you know there's going to be a lot of user consternation about it. They're not going to like it. Well, what they like even less is having to go through like you know a whole breach scenario where their email's been hacked and now they're not able to do any work and they're being questioned about how their password got out, et cetera, et cetera. So that becomes much more difficult than the extra ten seconds it takes to. Uh, enter a code from an authenticator app or from an SMS message. Message. So that's, those are the two first things that, you know, 
the the October Cybersecurity Awareness Month is focused on uh, strong passwords and password managers, as well as multi-factor authentication. The third thing is recognizing and reporting phishing messages. So, Michael, what do you talk about when you talk about phishing? Especially, to, let's let's we know on the business side that this is something. There's lots of tools that or, uh, companies invest in, um, and there's kind of an awareness there about phishing that comes with you know, awareness training, et cetera. But on the personal side, sometimes people don't make that leap over to their own lives that, yes, in fact, your personal accounts are being targeted as well. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, so, so you know, the, the, in cybersecurity, we talk about a concept called zero trust quite a bit. Um, and, and and I'm not suggesting that you need any kind of fancy software or fancy technology to, to do this. But basically you shouldn't trust the emails that you get, right? You, you know, you should be doing some diligence to check them, right? Whether it be, you know, the, the notification that Amazon dropped off a package or an email suggesting that you reset your banking password. Um, all of these things should be taken and viewed with, with that that concept of zero trust, right? If, if I got an email from my bank, I'm not clicking on that email to, to access my bank. I'm going to the, to the bank, uh, you know, the bank website directly. Um, so just taking simple precautions, looking at who it's from, don't click on an Amazon email. If you know, you haven't ordered anything from Amazon, um, you know, go to the Amazon website and log in, check to make sure that you're not giving up any personal information, right? Anybody that asks you to, to, to provide credit card number, social security number, or anything, right? That's not information that you want to be sharing online. Um, so I, I I tell people, and again, I, I think about this when I talk to anything from my kids, to my mom and dad, to, to the general public, right? Be wary, be suspicious of all emails. Um, and I know that's a terrible thing to say, but given the amount of spam, given the amount of, uh, of email fraud that's out there, um, if you don't have a little skepticism going into it, you're going to get taken advantage of. That's right. A hundred percent. And Michael outlined that the most simple thing you can do, if you've received an email, again, reiterating what he said from your bank or from Amazon or from any like Facebook or Instagram, whatever it might be that they need you to click a link to go do something. Don't click the link. Just go to the, you know, type the, you know, facebook.com or tnc.com, whatever it might be, chase.com, directly into the into your browser, log in. And if there's something they need you to do, you they will instruct you to do it once you get logged into your account. The email is not the only way to uh, to interact with that. Now, I do get questions a little bit, Michael, and tell me what your, your thoughts here or what you advise people on. So oftentimes when you create a new account somewhere, let's say you're signed up for some new service, they want to authenticate your email address by sending you that that note saying, click here to you know validate your email. What happens when you don't get that right away and you've forgotten or something and you do get that validation message? Do you have kind of a trick there? I mean, I, I might be putting you on the spot here because we didn't talk about this uh, no, right so, this podcast. And, and maybe, maybe being a little bit more of a, yeah, a cyber guy being here. I, I I have what I think is pretty much a throwaway email address. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so, for example, if I'm signing up for DraftKings, um, or, or let's let's assume that I'm going to leave DraftKings and go to FanDuel, um, I'm going to use that email address initially to, to to validate the transaction. They all come into one spot. Um, I'm not giving up, you know, a corporate email address. Um, I'm not giving up my primary home uh, email address. So I, I've got this throwaway email address that I, I would use for something like that. And I would tell you, if, if you if you don't click on it right away, let's assume you're, you're signing up for Hulu uh, television um, and you, you're, you're looking at it two weeks from now, trying to realize whether you signed up or not, don't click on it again, right? Go, go right. to... Go to Hulu uh, directly. Uh, you know, go to the URL um, and just verify or, or even re-sign up if necessary. Um, because if you didn't click that link, no, no, uh, no account was probably established. So yeah, let's let's be clear. Uh, Ninety nine out of a hundred of these companies will do everything and anything to get you to establish an account. So they'll they'll make it easy. If you didn't validate your account the first time, they're happy to let you try again or or something along those lines. So. Um, yeah, I, I would be always suspicious of the emails that ask you to do something that you, that you didn't just do to create the email, if that makes sense. So if, if you're signing up for Hulu and you expect to get that validation email and it winds up in your inbox a minute later, it, you can, you can pretty much guarantee that that one's safe, at least in today's day and age. Um, but if, you know, a week from now, you just randomly get a Hulu validation message. Most certainly don't click on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say about reporting phishing, you, everybody can report a phishing message. Uh, you know, Gmail allows you to do this. Um, if you highlight the email and then click report a fish or report spam, Microsoft allows you to do this. It helps make those systems smarter. Um so if you if you do get an email that you believe to be phishing, certainly don't click on anything. But then you can also uh, add to the you know the greater security for all of us by by reporting it as a phishing message. One I, final comment. Oh, yeah, I think the reporting of it really comes more towards the businesses, right? Because they're actually looking at it, right? Whereas Microsoft or Google may be uh, maybe running some analytics. If your business yeah. has got a you know a fish detection button. Um, you know, your business is now looking at those emails. Um, sure. Somebody is, is, is making a decision. If they get so many of those that are, are reported, they typically tend to, uh, you know, uh, blacklist or, or block the, uh, uh, the address or that particular email. So there is some, some, you know, controls that can be in, you know, on the reporting side, on the mm-hmm. personal side, right. You know, Sending it off to Google or sending it off to Microsoft is nice. You can feel good about, you know, helping the world. But, uh, you know, you're just, you know, you, you look at the volume of email that's out there. It's really not getting the uh, the attention that it should. One, one last comment about spam and phishing. There is a, uh, a marked increase of the amount of spam and phishing messages that we're, that we're seeing out there right now. There is a... 100%, 200%, 300% increase in the number of, of these types of fraudulent emails that are coming through, both on the business side and on the personal side. So just be aware that, um, that, that the fire is definitely getting hotter as it comes to uh, email-based phishing or email-based fraud. Right. 
So finally, the last thing um, is the last thing we should do to help keep ourselves safe is updating our software. Um, Michael, why don't you tell us a little bit about yeah, that and yeah, why it's yeah. so important in general, but on the on the personal side uh, in particular. Again, you know, if you're going, you know, if you're going to get hit with something like ransomware or, or malware, which is uh, ransomware is a type of, you know, it, it's going to attack uh, typically a piece of software or even your operating system if it's not updated. So running a Mac, running Mac OS, right, we get regular updates to make sure that our software is up to date. Um, and, and, you know, the notification comes out. It's an easy process. It's one click to get your software updated. Otherwise, you have vulnerabilities. And these are known vulnerabilities. These are vulnerabilities that the bad guy already has and, and has a way to exploit. Um, so without closing those vulnerabilities, without patching your software, you're just leaving yourself open for attack. Um, and, and, I, and this is truly one of those things is it's going to happen, right? You're going to have something bad happen to you if you're not regularly updating and patching your software. Um, and that can be as simple as printer drivers and other things not working to something as bad as somebody taking access to your system. So um, I can't say enough about this. On the corporate side, you know, this is one of those basic blocking and tackling. Vulnerability and patch management must happen if, if you're in the corporate environment. But too many of us leave our home systems without any patches, without any updates. And, and yet we're going to put, you know, our, our, our credit card information on them. We're going to put, uh, you know, our, our personal financial documents, uh, uh, wills, uh, uh, leases, um, you know, all kinds of personal information. And yet we're not going to take the the two minutes a month it takes to patch it. Um, so it's, it's, it's a real, it's a real challenge. hundred percent. Uh, and you know, on the corporate side, it is definitely, um, when you have, you know, a thousand devices out there to patch, it becomes a very complicated thing. And it's, you know, there's teams dedicated to doing this on the personal side, we're talking about a single device, a, a handful of devices, um, that require that you, you periodically apply a patch, you know, on the, on the windows side, um, they do a good job. Microsoft does a good job of, of making those patches on patch Tuesday available, easy to roll them out and put them on your machine. Of course it, it may require a reboot. So you might be, you know, the machine may not be available for a few minutes while it goes through the patching uh, on the Apple side. They it's they're good at it. They're always available, but sometimes you have to search for them a little bit more, especially like on your iPhone or something. If you have it set it up to automatically do it on all of these systems, you can set up um, when a patch can be applied or a new update can be applied. Like I do it overnight so that it it happens without me uh, without me even being aware of it. It just happens uh, automatically. This also applies to things like Zoom and. Uh, Adobe and other personal apps that you would be running on your on your uh, home computer or your your mobile phone or your tablet, those also need to be updated. So always update not only your operating system but your the software that you're running on your your devices as well. Right. I just updated um, went through the update with my uh, Google Home network. There was a big update and I just applied it all. Kind of a pain because the the system was down for. 10 minutes while it did all its updates, but it's less painful than, you know, 
some bad guy trying to break in. So just take the take the time to to make sure you go through these. And it's not one of those things where you you do it periodically. You should really be applying these patches immediately when they're available. So with your so Google those are the, network, uh, I was going to say I was going to say with your Google Home Network, your Taylor Swift music collection is now safe, isn't it? It is. Thank goodness. <laughs> my daughters would be very upset if it wasn't and let's michael you're showing your age we don't have the music stored locally let's be clear <laughs> um all right just, cool so given that given yeah. that taylor swift taylor swift was all over the nfl this weekend i uh i had to throw that in <laughs> that's hilarious so anyhow we're, we're we're glad everyone was was here to join us uh to talk a little bit about what the focus of uh, the 2023 uh, October Cybersecurity Awareness Month is about. Um, really important that, you know, we, 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 most of us have jobs and work in a corporate environment where these things are happening or should be happening, but they also need to happen on the personal side as well. So make sure that you have strong passwords and passphrases, use a password manager, enable multi-factor everywhere. And if you're unable to do that, question whether you want to use that service or not. Um, certainly, if there's critical information behind like a login somewhere, uh, you might want to reconsider uh, using that service. Uh, be aware to how to recognize phishing, spam, et cetera. Don't click things. Um, you know, If you get an unsolicited attachment from somebody, question whether that's good or not uh, or safe or not. And then finally, updating software. Perfect. So, Michael, we we end all of our podcasts as we have for what three and a half years now of recording these things with harbors we like to go to. Um, I'm thinking about it as I'm saying these words. I think I've got one in mind. It's I'll, I'll go. I'll go first. We could both do one okay. this time. Um, okay. Actually, I just I thought of it as we got onto the podcast. I had the opportunity this summer to go up and speak on cybersecurity in Nova Scotia. Um, um, so I went to Halifax. Um, just a, a, a great opportunity to get to talk to some uh, CEOs and cybersecurity professionals up there about, uh, you know, how to protect their businesses. Um, if, if you ever get a chance, uh, Halifax is a, is a wonderful little town. Um, think of it like Maine with less people. Um, and there, there's a bar that sits right there on the water called Dirty Nelly's Irish Pub. Um, make some of the best seafood chowder, uh, get a proper pint of Guinness and, uh, it was definitely worth the trip. Fantastic. Um, so I'm going to be in the same neck of the woods. Um, I'm going to recommend people check out Portland. Uh, Portland is a, is a harbor. Portland, Maine, that is. Uh, Portland is a harbor town. Um, there's uh, anybody that's a foodie um, should most certainly check out Portland, Maine. It's a fantastic spot uh, for those that really like to eat, like myself. Um, and it's not all seafood based. It's not all lobster. It's not lobster roll here and, uh, you know, oyster there, although you can find those. Um, the food is just fantastic. So I would recommend going in to Scales, which is a spot uh, on the water in Portland, um, and have a well, I guess a pint of Maine Beer Company's dinner, uh, followed by their stew, their seafood stew, which is one of my favorite things in the world. So there you have it. Halifax, Nova Scotia, and Portland, Maine are two spots that everybody should check out. Perfect. Hey, Michael, thanks. Um, thank, <laughs> thank you. And, uh, you know, uh, very excited to get back to having guests next month, but uh, thought we would take this opportunity 
kind of talk a little bit about Cyber uh, Awareness Month, 20 year anniversary of it. And uh, it doesn't Woo! seem like 20 years, but uh, nope. Yeah, we've been doing cyber for all 20 of them. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Cool. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, everyone. Harbor's innovative processes are based on industry standard frameworks that are tailored to meet the needs of small and medium-sized businesses. We would also like to thank Tom Marshall for the original music. Yes, that Tom Marshall from Fish fame. Harbor's portfolio of services is designed to meet the cybersecurity needs of small and medium enterprises. We offer a range of services from cyber risk advisory to VCSO consulting to meet specific security requirements without putting a strain on your technology budget. If you like what you heard here, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues. We release new podcasts every other week and are available on Spotify and Apple. You can reach us through our website if you have additional questions or suggest a great harbor we should mention on our next show. 